Welcome to the Food is Life podcast with me, Jambo, and me, Steph. Now, this week we have a super special guest on, Portia. Now, Steph, how do you know Portia? Well, more like, how does she know me? Just kidding. So, Portia, do you actually want to say hi just so that people actually know you're here first? Hi, everybody. Yeah, I'm sitting in. Hello. <laughs> now, if you don't know where she's from, you don't want to know either. No. So, Portia, I met when we were doing our master's degree. So when we were in Oxford doing sports nutrition, so Portia is a lot smarter version of me. She is also a dietitian and a very good sports nutritionist. There is, I have to say, another question I do want to ask Portia to talk to us about sports nutrition on another day. But today is all about dietetics. So oh, I've got a question already, Steph. <laughs> what is the difference? What's the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian? This is exactly what this podcast is all about, Jumbo. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm going to learn a lot. Yeah, so <laughs> basically, I think that's a perfect leeway into, Portia, if you can tell us what you do on a day-to-day basis, where you work, who you work with, how you help people, and then we can get into all the juicy stuff like gut health and bone health and gluten intolerance. Oh, oh I know. Oh, yeah. Yes. Stop anyway, it. go on. <laughs> what is a dietitian, basically? So, dietitian. Dietitians normally work in hospitals. We're registered with a kind of professional body, like doctors are registered with GMC. You get registered nurses. We're registered dietitians, so we all work in hospitals and the healthcare settings normally. And we work with basically a range of people in hospital. A lot of the time, it's people who are underweight. Um, out of hospital a lot of times overweight we also see lots of people in the middle um so if you've got diabetes you've got any gut issues if you've got any anything wrong with you basically and you need feeding we can sort you out so on a normal day-to-day basis i'm seeing patients on in a hospital i work on intensive care and most people ask kind of what you need to do what's what's the point of a dietitian on intensive care so when people are knocked out and in induced comas, they're intubated, ventilated, how do they eat? So we shove little tubes up their noses, into their tummies, and I work out how much protein and calories and water and everything else that goes in. Uh, so it's a great job. See lots of different people. Uh, and yeah, it's a bit varied and not everybody works with overweight people. So it's not always <laughs> all about the diets nor is it all about trying to get all the unhealthy junk food into people um <laughs> yeah. i love it so basically you're saying you're qualified and i'm not fantastic <laughs> pretty much <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. nutrition definitely has its place outside of hospitals and nutritionists actually know how to do other things whereas dietitians are pretty uh, niche to our one job <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely how i describe it too like i see nutrition and like what I do is like a holistic approach and more of a would the right word be a proactive approach whereas mm. a dietitian works more possibly reactively Reactively. Mm. yeah probably so, and that's yeah. probably our profile we need to be working more like a nutritionist and be a bit more proactive mm. but in, unfortunately being funded by the NHS is always reactive compared to proactive and being out there and in, in with people who actually want your help a bit more as well so or, or would good. you say that you're absolutely governed and guided by the NHS guidelines or do you have your own say in things or how does it work in hospital? Um, yeah, so we have to follow guidelines, obviously, um, and we have to follow them. 
there's always that air of clinical judgment, we call it. So what we've seen has worked before with people um, and kind of judging it a bit person by person or patient by patient. So like you, you have to follow the guidelines for your nutrition work. It's exactly the same, just different guidelines. Yeah. Jumbo, does that make sense? Does that explain the difference? Uh, actually, it was quite informative. Um, I like the <laughs> reactive and proactive um, difference between the two. Uh, so, I, you know, I just thought dietitians were just uh, made up people with made up qualifications, but there you go. I know, yeah. ne nobody ever knows and, what we do. <laughs> and now I actually know it's Steph who's actually the fraud. So, <laughs> <laughs> I had to change yeah. my uh, co, co host for the podcast. So. <laughs> so, I do have a question because this is a predominantly weight loss podcast. I do want to start with talking a little bit about your work with obese people or overweight people because I know you've done some clinics and stuff before uh Portia mm -hmm. and I are actually friends outside of this podcast and work so <laughs> when you've done these obesity clinics talk to me about it like mm -hmm. how often do you see these people what issues are they coming to you with do you actually manage to help them do you see them often enough mm. so tricky one so we always seem to get the people who don't quite meet criteria for like bariatric surgery um, and having to take gastric bands or bypasses and so they're at a bit of a sticking point of kind of nobody really wants to help them out um, so they kind of fall into clinics that maybe we're not really the specialists in weight loss um, I know me personally I'm not massive weight loss specialist because it takes a lot it's a lot of actually helping the individual figure it out what's their motivators and barriers more so than just kind of basic eating everybody kind of knows eat too much the energy balance is too high um, and so you're not going to lose weight um, so when we've had them in it's always been a huge psychological effort for people um, figuring out what really drives them to get going what are, what are the emotional cues to eating and kind of figuring those out a lot of the time. So we'd see them, unfortunately, probably only once a month, maybe, if that. So we actually need to see people so much more to build up a bit of a relationship, understanding, get the accountability going. So it's a varied kind of role of being there to kind of educate as well as motivate, as well as hold people accountable, you know, which we're not always uh, able to do. Yeah, and I think this is a good actual time to, because obviously, um, shameless plug in terms of, you've just said it yourself, like, and the listeners know, everyone knows that to have a real lasting change and a real impact, you have to be talking to like these people daily, like all the time. Mm. It's not a case of, right, once a month I'm going to come and see you and it's it's the same as like personal training it's you go and see a personal trainer for an hour a week what are you doing for the rest of those 23 hours of the day and then the other 24 times what six hours mm. of the week because can you really impact someone's life and livelihood on you know a 20 minute session once a month go on Jambo you're dying to talk I'm dying to ask questions you know me and my questions do you see a lot of people that potentially um say like a obese people that go see uh, medical help obviously people that mm -hmm. relapse that made progress and then because obviously I think a lot of weight gain is is more than just I eat too much there's obviously a lot of mm -hmm. 
um, mental health issues that are attached to it? Do you see a lot of people that make progress and then relapse and come back? So much. Um, you see people that initially lose a little, a little bit of weight, five kilos maybe, something like that. And they're doing really well. And I don't know whether it is that kind of the mental game where somebody then thinks, oh, I've smashed it. I know what I'm doing. Relax a little bit. And so they put the weight on and then that really demotivates them. Um, and it's really kind of disappointing when you see that, actually, because people do can help themselves. Um, but like kind of stuff saying, we don't see people enough to really keep that contact going. I, I know I've had my own private patients before now and trying to do weight loss with them. It's so hard because you need so much input. Like you need that contact all the time to keep you accountable. And I think that's the hardest part. It's not knowing what makes you lose weight or what makes you put weight on. It is just being consistent, keeping it going day in, day out. And, you know, going forward like that. Would you say, where are these clients coming from? As in, are they being referred from the GP or are they coming to you directly or how mm. do they find you? A handful via the GPs and then the odd personal trainer um, who was a physio, something like that. So people who are trying to get into exercise um, and then they kind of need to lose weight as well as do the exercise. And as you know, kind of doing exercise burns calories. So that helps you out. But then going along the right diet to a recover from your exercise and your workouts as well as not overeat and hopefully hopefully help you lose a little bit of weight as well so there's not it's always it's a lot easier I think sometimes for people to be referred but I don't know how well it actually is uh, for them if they don't kind of seek seek the help I don't know there's a bit of that lacking of accountability sometimes I think I think we've definitely put that point to bed I think that's a, a really good one to start with I'm dying to know the answer to this one. I know a lot. This is just a buzzword at the moment. Gluten, gluten intolerant, all of this stuff. So I've read some research, but I want to know what you, you're obviously going to know a lot more than me about gluten intolerance. Like it, there's obviously lots of gluten-free foods out there now. Lots of restaurants give you mm. the option of gluten-free. Is it actually that a lot more of us are now gluten intolerant or is it like just this popular thing and it's this trendy thing or could it be a bit of both where do you sit on this oh great question mm, because it's a good question yeah because you see it it's almost trendy to be gluten-free um you see it, every store has a gluten-free brownie now if you're walking around any farmer's market bit of both i think um the prevalence of celiac disease so celiac disease is the only kind of the only treatment for it is a gluten-free diet. It's an autoimmune disease where your body attacks itself after you ingest anything with gluten. So your wheat, barley, and rice are your three cereals that contain gluten. That prevalence is actually always underdiagnosed. So it's always going to go up. Um, people don't realize they have it. So if you've got any kind of dodgy bowels, then sometimes that's always a good one to just rule out. Um, trendiness, you're cutting out carbs. That's always trendy for some reason. Mm. People hate carbs. We love that on this body. Yeah. Oh, the most frustrating thing ever. Carbs are king. Oh, thank so, you for saying carbs that. Carbs are life. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, carbs are life as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, on so, that, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, so like people cut out gluten and gluten is actually, is technically one of these things we call a, a FODMAP. 
So a fermentable carbohydrate. So the gut bacteria love it. And they actually digest uh, and ferment these carbohydrates in our gut. And so people feel like they get a bit of gluten intolerance. And it's probably from these gut bacteria fermenting things, gas is produced, makes you feel bloated, makes you feel a bit ugh, and a bit groggy and minging. Um, and so that's probably why then people feel better for cutting out gluten, just because they don't have that fermentable carbs in you, which actually you do need because it keeps you healthy, keeps your gut bacteria healthy. And everybody loves their guts at the moment. So no, I was going to say, so actually a little bit of gas is not the worst thing in the world. Jambo, no, please. No, that's yeah, all. Thank goodness you've said that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah but it's, it means you've got a healthy gut. Yeah, this is one of the things that people think, right, I've like passing more wind than I usually do, or I'm just bloated sometimes. And they're like, right, going to cut out all gluten. I'm done. Going to see how it goes. And like from my point of view, I see it as right. Well, if you're cutting out gluten, you're cutting out, as you say, carbohydrates. You're then cutting out lots of fiber. You're cutting out lots of vitamins, minerals that yeah. you're getting from these yeah. carbohydrates too. So yeah, it's a exactly. fine line, isn't it? It is. And it's bonkers. And people always associate the carbs with being the problem where it can be absolutely anything. You've got your classic ones of chickpeas, beans, legumes, you know, the beans, beans, magical fruit, the more you eat, the more you toot. That's saying. <laughs> well, Welsh I, saying, that one. I, I, no. I thought that's the second time, that's the second time it's come up in this podcast. That You've said it before. <laughs> the more beans, beans, good for your heart, the more you eat, the more you fart. That's what I say. Oh, there yeah. we go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. And that, is, that is so real as well, because it is, that fiber is good for you. And people, if you have beans on toast, people are like, oh, it must have been the bread that caused me to be oh. more farty not at all yes. and so it's cutting out the wrong food groups when actually everybody has a little bit of kind of this intolerance probably um you might find it if you have uh an apple for example they're going to be asking going to cause you to have a little bit more of a farty kind of side to things um <laughs> but is that, is that you saying it's okay that's not don't then suddenly cut out yeah apples. it's normal yeah do you, know what, I, do you know what i think as well especially like maybe a trend that's happened because of I think social media but like you see so many girls now they're either they're just this uh, constant state of I'm bloated right and I feel like I, th I feel like there's such pressure now that girls should have like a flat stomach that if they're slightly bloated or whatever they're like oh I'm, I'm bloated they're either hungry or bloated there's no in between yeah like, and I just and I wonder if it is because of stuff like social media like you have to have a flat stomach like Goodness, I mean, I've had a flat stomach since 2001. So, <laughs> but I certainly think it's like maybe like a social media trend that now all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, because I ate some whatever and I've got a slightly bloated stomach, I'm, I'm intolerant to it. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a good see question. That, don't you? Mm. A good question to come on to that is the gluten testing. So, if you go to a doctor and you're like, right, I think I might be intolerant to gluten they do the blood tests they get sent off how do you know how accurate these are are they because for me what are how i see it is if you've been eating gluten it's going to be in your bloodstream so if you've eaten a lot of gluten then you go and do these blood tests and then it comes back that you've got still got loads of gluten in your bloodstream that you're not digesting or utilizing well of course you're then going to come back as gluten intolerant is that not a um 
Yeah, I don't think there's actually a proper test that tests just intolerance. So you have your celiac test, which mm-hmm. actually you have to eat your gluten for about, I think it's six weeks um, consistently in your diet before you have a celiac test, which is just a simple blood test. And then the autoimmune antibodies, they rise because you've got gluten in your diet. The actual gluten intolerance, you can't really test intolerance. So there's no proper definitive test. Interesting. So I would probably air away from your gluten intolerance tests personally. Um, mm. and... It's very interesting. Okay, so on the same path, dairy. Mm. So I think we have, I don't think it's as big of a problem, but there's definitely a lot of people that cut out dairy and cheese. And is it along mm-hmm. the same path? Is it more valid? What is dairy intolerance? Mm. Oh, that's a good question as well. I am such an advocate for dairy. I think milk is a superfood. Um, so I hate it when people are like, oh, I can't tolerate milk, I can't tolerate this. You're an advocate for Again. all food. <laughs> Pardon? So you're an advocate for um, all food. <laughs> <laughs> that is also She's actually <laughs> eating right now. You guys just can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. But, um, dairy, slightly different, but same at the same time. Um, so dairy has the carbohydrate lactose in it. Lactose is again, sometimes one of those carbohydrates, which your body just doesn't digest as well. Um, so it's normally digested by enzymes that are just coat the small intestine. So they're called brush border enzymes. Um, and actually if you don't have dairy in your diet regularly, then these brush border enzymes actually kind of slowly disappear, they diminish in numbers. And so you can actually have then a little bit of intolerance because you're not eating it and your body's not used to it as much. So top tip to stop dairy intolerance is have dairy in your diet. Mm. Key. Different to people who cannot take lactose and actually need to take lactose enzymes or lactase enzymes, but that's different to dairy kind of intolerance in general, I think. Yeah, but for our listeners... For most people, mm. cutting out dairy is not probably the first way to go if you're having like symptoms, right? Yeah, I'd say not to. No. Uh, and I'd I'd say anything dairy as I well don't. is just worth taking the risk. <laughs> True. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Okay, right. Next topic is IBS. Another one. Oh. So, what the heck is IBS? A lot of people think they suffer from it. Again, I've got actually a question to add on to this as well. Right, go on. Then, go on. Ask, yeah. ask your questions as well. Can I just add one on the end? At the end, anyway. Yes. So, yeah, let's explain what IBS is, if you don't mind, Portia. And then, do you have any advice for our listeners that do suffer with it? Yeah. Can I add a question on as well? You might as well answer them all together. And. Um, as well with IBS, um, so my family, I've got a couple of members in my family that suffer from IBS, but like I don't, my brother doesn't, but like four of my family members do. Why is it some, is it hereditary and some not? Mm. Or is that, is that going too, too deep? No, yeah, I can try and answer it. So IBS, interesting you asked that because both then gluten and lactose are actually part of kind of, the diet that sometimes we suggest people go on to. So all links, well done. That was good, good work there, Steph. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> so IBS 
it's technically a functional gut disorder. Um, so there's no real test. Um, and it's sometimes kind of a test of ruling out anything more sinister. In my opinion, everybody has a slight degree of this kind of functional gut disorder. Everybody sometimes is a bit more windy, a bit bloated. Um, but some people do really suffer from erratic bowels. So you can have IBS diarrhea. So people who really suffer from going to the toilet too much or IBS constipation. So going down the lines of not going to the toilet enough. Mm-hmm. Or then you can have a mixed bag IBS. So, <laughs> so you both go to the toilet too much or don't go to the toilet enough. Oh, oh I know. So we talk in our gastro clinics, we talk a lot about poo. Um, and kind of maybe sometimes people feel that if they're going to the toilet and they don't actually quite finish opening their bowels. So it's don't called... Don't finish the job. Exactly, mm. they don't finish the job. Job. It's called incomplete evacuation. <laughs> It always gives a little giggle, but uh, <laughs> it's a very serious matter. <laughs> um, and you can find that you have kind of excess wind. Pain is sometimes a symptom of IBS as well. And I'm trying to think of anything else. It's never anything like blood in your poo. If you have blood in your poo, go to the doctors um, because it shouldn't. IBS doesn't, doesn't inc- include that. Um, so if people suffer from IBS, I, I do think everybody does have an element of it, but we do find that people who suffer from like stress and anxiety and have that kind of heightened individual individuality, if it were kind of, if that's the right way of saying it, if you know what I mean, a little yeah. bit more of the stressy kind of nature, then actually they kind of suffer a little bit more normally. Um, there is this thing, have you heard of the gut brain axis? When I always like to give the kind of, similar story of if you're going to go to an exam or going to start a race or go to a competition you need the toilet right it's that similar kind of stress that happens when you suffer from IBS but it's more of a constant day-to-day instead of just this specific event that you're going to be nervous for Um, so there's a lot to do with gut brain access and kind of how the nerves around your gut um, affect um, your gut, obviously. Um, and then if the bloating is more painful for people with, with IBS than just say normal bloating, potentially again, because of that gut brain axis, really heightening your sense of pain and uncomfortableness. Um, so is it hereditary? Probably not. But I'd imagine maybe how people, your kind of state of mind almost, that sounds a bit horrible. But if you come from a family where people are more stressy. I know my family are very relaxed and so farting's absolutely fine in my household. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) So I wouldn't ever really say it's hereditary, but it's definitely common. Yeah, I don't know. What was uh, the other parts of your questions then, Steph? It was a Um, long-winded question. Sorry, yeah. Well, one of the points I wanted to get at was the fact that it was years ago you said it to me because I, I had a client like years and years ago when I first started out and they were suffering with symptoms of like IBS and I was like, I don't really know where to take them. Like, what do I do? Mm. And you said the first mode of recovery is always looking at their stress first. And it's not even just necessarily traditional stress. It can be stress like over-exercising. It can be stress like not sleeping. Mm-hmm. And that really, really got me because since then, and like even up to today, 
when people ask me about it, it's the first thing I say, right, what's going on in terms of like stress wise. And even for myself, like I do find if I'm slightly stressed, like if I'm doing some public speaking, like a seminar or something, I will have a gut, my gut will hurt. I will feel a little bit more bloated and I feel a bit more windy. And it's because it's just that natural stress. And then it's it's even stressing about things like, so gluten intolerance, I can say this because I can hold my hand up and say I've been there many, many years ago, is I went through a gluten-free phase. Yes, I did. Jambo, have you done a gluten-free phase actually? No, I like food too much. Fair. Okay, anyway, so (laughs) I was going through all this and then like, as Portia's actually said, things like apples and bananas, I was like, no, I had them. And then I would like feel a little bit bloated. I'm like, no, no more apples. Right. So then, but I'm also then stressing about, okay, what can I eat? Oh my God, now I can't eat that. It's mm-hmm. just like the constant cycle of the stress. And I don't know yeah. if there is a better word for it, but it is that, that stress. So yeah, definitely. And actually our first line advice to anybody who suffers from IBS is making sure that you do some kind of exercise yoga meditation things to actually de-stress your body um that's like the key first line and again also regular eating so we often find that some people eat only one meal a day and their guts are in pieces because they're just their gut isn't used to having regular food going in so regular meals de-stressing um and making sure you're drinking enough as well so it's kind of the classic kind of just be healthy initially um, and then there's like specific dietary advice that you'd probably need to go to a dietitian, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. mm. So what's the difference between, let's say, for example, right, I've eaten some gluten and or I'm I'm feeling a little bit bloated quite often. How do I know if it's gluten, if it's IBS, if it's like where where do you go? Mm. Where do you start? Oh, it's a really difficult one because IBS if it really affects you then you'll probably go to the doctors if you feel like it's something that's impacting on your day-to-day living if you're having to take sick days uh, and time off work because of your bowels or because you're having to rush to go to the toilet or your stomach's really gurgling away and making loads of sounds um, then sometimes that's actually enough for some people to go to the doctors Um, if you're opening your bowels loads then again, I'd probably want to go to the doctors. If you lose weight um, without any reason, I'd go to the doctors always. Um, and if your bowels kind of change from what their normal is, so everybody goes to the toilet differently, once a day, twice a day, three times a day, once every other day, then it's what, if it changes from your normal, that's important because you don't want that. <laughs> So my dad developed it quite later on in life. Is that possible to obviously de- develop it, you know, well into your, I mean, he's mm. 60 now. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things that it can be around from young age, or it can be one of those things that if there was something stressful that's happened recently or a change in circumstances, he's changed jobs and like that, those can all be kind of triggers so it is one of those things that's quite fluid um, and can be affected by your kind of lifestyle as well. Um, so, yeah, good question. Oh, I have so many questions. Go on, Jambo, you go. Got your hand up. Last question about IBS is, can it 
come and go or once you do get IBS that's it you're doomed for life <laughs> oh you're not doomed for life um <laughs> wow <laughs> no it's one of those things that you, it can come and go definitely if you know that you're kind of somebody who suffers from it you can alter your diet a little bit um I was trying to say to people like I said before regular meals and actually try and incorporate flax seeds into your diet they're like a superfood when it comes to IBS so having a teaspoon a day something like that making sure you're drinking plenty of water those can normally help your bowels kind of normalize a little bit um but it can come on if there's something really stressful going on in your life that gut brain axis your brain is going to be telling your gut to mess up basically um so it can go evacuate. back and forth. evacuate quite literally mm. <laughs> so it is it's one of those things that will probably always be in the background um but it's about managing it and seeking the help as well because it's one of those like we can help okay moving swiftly on but maybe along the same lines i'm not entirely sure fiber mm. so from what i understand the government guidelines are 25 grams a day correct me if i'm wrong yeah i think it might even be even higher yeah, yeah, I think it, obviously it depends on your body size and your body weight and stuff, but I think it's around 25 to 30 grams a day. So is it possible to consume way too much fiber? Not really, no. Ooh. Simple answer. Um, more fiber in your diet, the better. Your gut's going to be happier. Everything's going to be happier. Your waistline will be happier. You can't have too much fiber. What about the opposite way? Too little fibre, 100% yes. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> um, you do need fibre in your diet. It keeps you nice and regular. So kind of related, I suppose. Mm. Um, it's the right kind of fibre that you need. So you need, I think they're kind of old terms these days, but you've got the soluble versus insoluble fibre. Insoluble is obviously that kind of roughage. Um, so the things that your body cannot digest at all. And then you also have this thing called soluble fibre. Um, which is something that kind of forms a gel within your gut. Um, so it helps kind of bring in water um, into your gut to help keep the poos nice and soft. So you need both of those in your diet and every single day as well, and preferably every meal, because nobody eats enough fibre. Um, and ways to increase it, obviously your fruit and veg, those are your main fibre sources. Then your beans, chickpeas, butter beans, things like that. Um, going for your whole grain varieties of your rice and bread, things like that as well. And yeah, you can't have too much fiber. So mm. yeah, I'm not having that as any argument. Oh, there we go. We've been told. Yes, um, Digressing, but on the same wavelength again, things like, um, I don't know how to actually say it, kefir or kefir, you know, the drink and things like kombucha. kombucha. Yeah, things like that. I feel like are they they have probiotics and prebiotics I think is the there we go where do we sit with those is it worth it because they're obviously quite expensive compared to other things would you recommend or oh tricky one if you like them 100% go for them they're not going to do you any harm um they're going to help kind of get in your extra bacteria which is always good um, and help kind of recolonize everything going on in your gut. Um, your prebiotics are your fibrous foods, 
which help feed your gut bacteria. So like I talked about earlier, your gut bacteria fermenting gluten, it's a good thing. Um, it means your gut is healthy. So the kefir, the kombucha, um, sauerkraut, these fermented foods are all quite popular these days. You don't have to have them in your diet, but if you like them, absolutely. Um, it's not gonna do you any harm and might do a bit of good. Um, I think always adding to your gut bacteria is a good thing. Um, yeah. Well, it's good to know they're not one of those like, oh, make sure you have a hot lemon tea in the morning. It's just going to like change your life overnight. Is it not? Oh, <laughs> no, maybe we need to ask Portia. She's a smart one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, Steph, but I'm not convinced by the hot lemon tea. If anything, oh. it's just going to strip the enamel off your teeth. Yeah. Um, I, I, I prefer to put a bit of tonic and gin yeah, as well gin. <laughs> yeah i mean is is this where i can come out and say i make sure all of my lean beans every single morning drink a hot lemon and tea oh <laughs> they do not you're both like um. <laughs> come on you two actually know me bloody hell bloody hell okay so jambo do you have any other burning questions oh so many but probably not for this podcast <laughs> okay so <laughs> i want to really round this off on a completely different topic and jambo and i have said we're going to do a whole podcast on this but portia as you're here and it's on topic this body positivity movement i don't know if you've seen it on social media the whole thing of I think it started with like the plus size models and now it's got to the stage of mm. right fat is healthy obese is fine as long as you're happy where do you sit on this whole oh saga it's a really tough one you can be overweight and clinically healthy you know you can have a bmi over 25 is classed as overweight uh, a bmi of over 30 is obese go on jambo that's me i'm over 30 oh. <laughs> But it's it solid muscle. For, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't account for the muscle. So if you're doing loads of exercise, then that's going to be more healthy than somebody who's a BMI of 18 to 20, doesn't do any exercise, has no muscle mass on them. And so actually they're not going to be as healthy cardiovascularly. Um, so for your heart and lungs, which is the most important part really of your body. Um, it's a tough one. You need to be though of a healthy-ish weight to be able to do exercise. So I'm sitting on the fence on this one that you can be healthy if there's nothing wrong with you, if you haven't got high blood pressure, you haven't got high cholesterol um, and be BMI 25 to 30 kind of weight. Being an BMI over 30, I find it difficult if, to say that you're gonna be healthy. Would you say though, that if you are carrying excess body weight, are you increasing your likelihood of risk of disease or things like high blood pressure as you, well, age, maybe? Definitely. Yeah. And if you're carrying excess body weight, the chances are it's going to be fat and not muscle excess body I weight. Th I think it's really important to say as well, and I think we discussed this stuff as well, is even if people were severely underweight as well as overweight, I think there's health complications on both sides. So, mm -hmm. um Obviously, we talked about the body positivity part of it, Steph. And if you saw someone walking down the street who you could see their ribs and they were, you know, severely underweight, 
you wouldn't sit there and encourage that and be like, yeah, you should be proud of who you are. You'd be probably concerned about their health. So I think mm. um, when we oh. talk about uh, like body positivity on the overweight side of it, I think we need to think about both sides and uh, certainly just not look at just being overweight, being unhealthy as well as being severely underweight as healthy or just being underweight in general is unhealthy on the body as well. Yeah, it's just on social media, I'm seeing things and people are sending me things at the moment that's like these ladies that are clearly carrying excess body weight and they're like, you don't need to diet as long as you're happy. And then you've got people commenting on these pictures being like, well, you're beautiful. And it's like, I get that, but that's not that's not the conversation. The conversation is you have excess body weight. Are you going to end up in a grave earlier than if you didn't have this excess body weight? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah yes those cutoffs are there because it's kind of to do with your health otherwise why would we measure like how heavy you are for how tall you are there wouldn't be any point um so I'm definitely a little bit in agreement it's always though like Jambo says if somebody's severely underweight your mental health as well yeah. isn't right so it's a very big topic I think there's a there's certainly a difference I think between the line between body positivity, fat shaming, and then mm. just looking at it from a purely a, a health side as well. I think it, when people obviously ask the question, I think it's very hard to answer in a couple of sen- sentences because I think there's a lot of different dimensions to it. So it is I know Steph, it certainly pushes your button a little bit, and you love to talk about it and. It's very hard when somebody does pop something on social media to maybe explore and get everyone to understand your argument from every angles. So it's a tough one. That's a different day, a different podcast. Oh, yes. We are definitely going to do one on that. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, no. Um, I did have some other questions, but I think we have kept Portia for long enough now. Um, we're definitely, definitely going to have to get you back on. I think um, mm. we've got lots oh, more to talk definitely. about. Yeah, and I do want to talk lots more about the juicy sports nutrition stuff. So for all the listeners that got lots of runners, lots of people that like to be active. So yeah, we'll definitely, definitely do some stuff. Yeah, a lot more fun, the old sports nutrition. Yeah, (laughs) no, this has honestly been incredible. I think a lot of people take a lot of things home here. Lots of stuff on gut health, on actually what we should be focusing on, what we are overthinking and yeah no it's awesome and do what i've taken away from all of this is ladies it's okay to have a bit of bloating just allow it to happen it's natural it's normal and pooing three times a day is not embrace it yeah pooing three times a day is not unnatural right no right (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean again it still comes back to everything in moderation take the common sense approach Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. Go and have a fart. (laughs) 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 Portia, is there, if there was one bit of nutrition advice you could give to our listeners today, what would that one thing be? The one thing would be, do you know what? It's probably a really boring piece of advice. Everything in moderation. Oh, you're such a Welsh answer. (laughs) I know. It's a terrible, terrible answer, but that's the truth. There's no point of cutting things out. Yeah. Enjoy life. You get the finger gun there from me and Jambo. Yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> oh, just put just point at me. Sorry, I've just been dicking around for like the last 45 minutes. <laughs> um, uh, um, what would you mean to say? That was a key oh, for you mean- to wrap up, Jambo. Oh, um, <laughs> on that note, guys, let's hear from Steph, the star of the show. Steph, what's your thoughts on today's podcast? What would you what would be your takeaway from this? Gut health is a big topic. I think it's a quite new topic in terms of, I mean, it's very popular at the moment, but still, again, as I say, take things with a common sense approach all in moderation don't overstress about this stuff if you think you're gluten intolerant you're probably not <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> obviously some people are obviously some people are um but yeah it's um it's nice to hear a little bit more of the sciencey stuff and understanding why our bodies work the way they do jumbo have you taken anything else from this podcast Apart from um, no i think it's uh, important for people to listen to um the people that know their stuff i.e. you guys um and not read stuff off the internet and not jump to conclusions and if you genuinely think you have got gut health issues or whatever it should be go seek actual people that know what they're on about finger gun finger gun yes Mm. well Portia thank you very much for your time thank you very much for your expertise I will probably see you with a gin and tonic next time um but yeah Thank you, guys. Right, before we go, Steph, where can we find you? You can find me on social media, Facebook and Instagram at foodislife.nutrition. You can also find my website, www.foodislifenutrition.com. That's where you can sign up to my daily emails. You can see testimonials. You can find out all about the Lean Bean course. Everything is there. That's the hub. Jumbo, where can we find you? You can find me strictly on Instagram at jambo.the.great also i do have my recipes one which i promise i'm going to update i know i made a pledge on here before uh it's at jambo.the.recipes can i just say you said before you're going on holiday you promised us yeah oh well now i'm back from my holidays and i've got nothing else to do because it's dark and wet Mm. i I will update it once a week at least oh worth a follow yeah. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. We'll, we'll wait. Mm. We won't. We'll hold. We won't hold our breath. I just take hello. He- I just take hello fresh's recipes and just <laughs> put them on as my own, and just be like, oh yeah. Change one ingredient. Yeah. Portia, if any of our listeners have any questions or want any further clarification or just want to have a little chin wag with you, where can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Go through Food is Life and I would be more than happy to take any questions. <laughs> so basically, I have to do all your day work for you. Okay. Yep. You're my admin. <laughs> yeah, I'm your PA. <laughs> no, that's a promotion. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, and thanks for listening. Obviously, guys, leave us reviews. If you do want to slide into our DMs and ask questions about the podcast or about anything at all, Please do. I know mine are always open um, and so are Steph's. So thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you. Bye.